I'm not going to lie, I'm tired of all of the wetness and the rain, but as I was telling Ben, hey, God is going to do what God is going to do. Glad to have you guys here. Uh, We're in the book of Joshua, 19th chapter. We talked about last week in the 18th chapter of the book of Joshua, how the seven and a half tribes now, they've been slack in taking their inheritance. Judah has received their inheritance on the western side of the Jordan. Ephraim has received their inheritance. And then Joshua says, why are you guys being slack, neglectful of receiving your inheritance? And then they started Ephraim. I mean, Benjamin receives his inheritance. And chapter 19, verse 1 says this of Joshua chapter 19. Please continue to lift up Joanne and Rick Shabelsky in prayer. Uh, I know you've been doing it, but please continue to do that. It says, the second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families, notice this, and their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. So you'll see Judah there, and you will see Simeon. They will assimilate into that, and that's going to be a prophecy that Jacob had pronounced in Genesis 49. Uh, Jacob said, Simeon and Levi will not have an inheritance. And it was because, remember, when Jacob and his family goes into the land of Shechem, Dinah, their sister, is raped by the prince of Shechem. And it says this in Genesis 49, 7. Jacob says, Cursed be their anger, speaking of Simeon and Levi, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. So once again, Simeon assimilates in the tribe of Judah. They have no inheritance. Stick with me because I'll be jumping around a lot in these chapters. Verse 10 tells us, The third lot came out for the children of Zebulun. And you can read again in Genesis 49 and Deuteronomy 33, the prophecy there. It says, according to their families, and the border of their inheritance was as far as Sered towards the Mediterranean Sea. Verse 17 is Issachar's lot. It gives the borders and the families of Issachar. Verse 24 tells us, the fifth lot came out for the tribe of the children of Asher. The tribe of Asher is kind of funny because uh, Deuteronomy 33 tells us Asher shall dip his foot in oil. And the Jews till this day, they are digging for oil in Asher. And I really don't think God meant oil, but in the land of Israel, especially in the territory of Asher, they have a lot of olive groves there. So I think that's the oil the Lord was speaking of, olive oil. But in verse 32, it says, The sixth lot came out to the children of Naphtali, for the children of Naphtali according to their families. Now, of course, there's a beautiful prophecy here in Matthew chapter 4 about Zebulun and Naphtali seeing a great light. And that great light is Jesus Christ walking in human flesh, and what a blessing that must have been. Verse 40 tells us, the seventh lot came out for the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their family, and it gives the coast there, Zorah, Eshtiol, and I won't butcher any more of those names. Then I want you to look in verse 47, and the coast of the children of Dan went out. Now, the King James Version, and it's very important, it says, too little for them. It does not say that in the New King James, but we have to understand it wasn't too little for the Lord because the Lord had given them this land. And it continues to read because, the King James says, therefore, the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem, which is Laish, and took it. And they struck it with the edge of the sword, took possession of it, and dwelt in it. 
They call Leshem Dan after the name of Dan, their father. Now, here's the important first lesson we have this morning. Dan was that tribe that was not content with what the Lord had given them. Their inheritance, they were never content with it. That's why it says they said, this is too little for us. The rest of the tribes believed, because remember, they are casting lot. Every other tribe says, these lots are divine. These lots are exactly what the Lord has for us. And there were no complaints. But Dan begins to complain because they thought they should have had more of an inheritance. And so this begins to breed idolatry. And before it ever manifested outwardly, as all idolatry and covenants is, it's from the heart. That's where it starts. Remember when uh, uh, Samuel went and confronted Saul, and he said this, stubbornness is like the sin of idolatry. And God is not surprised by his children. He's not surprised that we can be stubborn. He's not surprised when we are hard-headed and we go off in one direction when he has told us to go off in another direction. Dan's inheritance was in the south, but they would migrate up north and they would claim another piece of territory up there. And Israel, as you read through the Old Testament, when you speak of Israel as a whole, it always speaks of Israel. It says from Dan to Beersheba, Beersheba, from the north to the south. And the thing that we want to take note of here is when idolatry is set up in the northern part, remember, Dan sets up these two golden calves, one in Dan and one in Bethel. And the golden calf that was set up in Dan, once again, was just a manifestation of what was in their heart, of dissatisfaction. When they looked around their lot and their territory, they said, what God has given us is not enough. They might as well said God did not know what he was doing when he picked this lot out for us. I want you to help me out here because wasn't it the Lord who said this? He says, I am the Lord, your God, you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. And that doesn't mean in line, okay, we serve God, but then we have some, another idol and then another idol, and God is pleased because he's number one. But when God says, you shall have no other God in my presence, before me, it means in my presence, in my view. And the last time I checked, God is an all-seeing God. He sees everything. And what he's saying, don't put anything or any other person before me. I am the Lord thou God. And that's what Dan, that's why this discontentment begins to occur here. God had, he has given Dan boundaries. He has given all of these different tribes boundaries. He gives his children boundaries. They were marked out. There were battles attached to these boundaries. And I want you to think of our lives because when God gives us things, he has certain boundaries, certain parameters that he wants us to live in and abide by. And anytime we go outside those parameters, it's not for our good because he knows what's best for us. And so they put these two calves up in Dan and in Bethel. And it's the center of their worship. And they say, it's too far for you guys to go back to Jerusalem. Stay here. And they still said he was Yahweh, but they were really worshiping these golden calves. And God has set parameters, you guys, for all of us. Some people don't like parameters. They say they're too restrictive, and I can't do what I want to inside of God parameters that he has for us. 
But if you've ever raised children, especially in the city, you always put up a fence so that those kids won't go outside those boundaries and be hit by a car or a bus or anything. And you do that because you love them. I I remember in high school, I didn't even think about parties in middle school, but maybe one or two in high school. And I would say, mom, dad, can I go over to so-and-so's house? They're having a party. And they would quickly shut me down. No, we don't do that. If anybody wants to see you, they have to come to your house. And that's the way it was at our house. So, and I found out and I figured out it was because they had parameters for me. Because they love me. And if, we, and if we're rearing children the way we should, any loving dad, any loving mom would set parameters. And God is a loving God. God is a caring God. And he sets parameters for our benefit. It's not to harm us. It's for our good. And they are divine parameters coming from God. What should I do in this relationship? Is it okay to have sex or not? God has spoken on these boundaries. Is it okay for me to smoke pot or get drunk? God has set up boundaries for all of those things. And he does those things because he loves us. And if you've ever doubt about what you should do, all you have to do is go to the word of God. I was telling someone this morning, it's really simple when you're born again. It's an open book test. So if you want to pass the test, you go to the book. Everyone should be able to pass these tests, even myself, because it's I love open book tests. I love my sixth grade teacher, Miss Briscoe, because we had a lot of open book tests. And those are the ones I found that I liked a lot because the answers are here. And that's what the Lord is saying. I've set these parameters for you because I love you. They're not restrictive, but they're for your freedom. They're to liberate you. But anytime we go outside of those boundaries, there's no freedom there. You will find yourself quickly in bondage. There's there's boundaries for sobriety. There's boundaries for many different things. And God does that because he loves us. I tell you all the time, the key to life is to find the right master. We try this master, drugs. We try this master, alcohol. We try this master, sex. We try this master, money. Money is a cruel master, but it is a good servant, and we must use money to be a good servant. But we try all different types and things because we're looking for that master, that good master. But the greatest master, the best master of all hung on the cross for our sins, Jesus Christ. He's the one that says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm easy, and and my burden is easy, and my, my burden is light. That's Jesus Christ. He's the good master. He's the master that everyone should want to give their lives to and allow him to direct us. And Dan was discontent. Dan went off on their own, and it says this, and the coast of the children of Dan went out too little for them, not for the Lord, but for them, because the children of Dan went up. This was 50 years after they had settled their territory. It was still brewing in them. They wanted more. And it says to fight against Leshem and took it, and they struck it with the edge of the sword, took possession of it, and dwelt in it. They called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan, their father. Verse 48, this is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their families, these cities with their villages, when they had made an end, notice this, of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel, after everyone else has received their inheritance, it says, gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. Verse 50. According to the word of God, way back in the book of Numbers, God had promised Caleb and Joshua that they could pick 
their territories. And once again, they cast the lots for every other tribe, but these two, and I believe it was because they had a deeper walk with the Lord. They were more intimate with the Lord. God says, okay, I know you too. I know what kind of hearts you have. Matter of fact, instead of Caleb, he had a different spirit. So you guys get to choose your lot. And notice what Joshua chooses. It says, they gave him the city which he asked for, Timnath Sarah, in the mountains of Ephraim, up in the mountains. We looked at last Sunday that Ephraim were, were, was complaining because they wanted to go up farther. But the reason they wouldn't go up, even though they were allotted that territory, they said there were giants in the land. And, and, and uh, Joshua told them, if the same God I serve, you serve, you should have no problem taking the land. Well, when it was time for Joshua to receive his inheritance, he asked for that territory. I want to be right up there where those giants are at, and I'm going to defeat them. He says, in the mountains of Ephraim, and notice what it says, and he built the city and dwelt in it. Notice Joshua doesn't get, call it a territory. He calls it, he will build a city there because that's our Joshua. I love Revelations 21 and Revelation 22 because it speaks of that city, Jerusalem, adorned and coming down from heaven like a bride. And that's what our Joshua, Jesus Christ, has for us. And this picture, this type of Jesus Christ, Joshua, he asked for this city, and he builds this city here. And that city is named Timnath Sarah, and it means the abundant portion. Now, why would the Holy Spirit called Timnath Sarah the abundant portion. Ephraim didn't want to go up there and defeat the giants, but Joshua goes in there. And I submit to you guys, anything that is tough for us, that is difficult for us, that is going to take a fight for us, those are the abundant portions that the Lord has for us. Anything that's easy, Thank you, Lord. But the things that really you have to climb through and fight through and you finally have victory, that's where you truly get to know the Lord and the Lord is intimate because the Lord can tell us then, you see what I did for you? All you had to do is obey me. I work in you to will and to do of your, of your good purpose. So if it's tough, we should go for it because the Lord is with us. And then it says in verse 51, these were the inheritances which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by Lot and Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. Chapter 20. Now in chapter 20, we're going to have four descriptions here of these cities of refuge. Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua speak of these cities of refuge. It speaks to us about the sanctity of life. And we need to talk much more about that. Because just the word refuge, it speaks of a dark place, but it also speaks of a gracious tale. It speaks of the graciousness of God. So it gives us two sides of the coin. One very difficult and the other incredibly gracious when we watch God work here. These six cities of refuge, they're set apart in the land of Israel, three on the Canaan side, the promised land side, and then you have three on the eastern side of the Jordan River. No one city is more than a day's journey, and that's very important. From anywhere you lived, they were all at no farther than a day's journey on your way to that city. And they came into existence because God, being God, being holy, knowing man, he makes a distinction between premeditated manslaughter and involuntary manslaughter. And of course, premeditated manslaughter 
One of the commandments says, you shall not murder. That's what it says literally. You shall not kill. We know people go to war. That's okay. But God says, you shall not murder. And there was those the Lord sent to war. There's a difference between involuntary manslaughter. God gives us that example, I think, in Deuteronomy 19, and it speaks of a man, and he has an axe, and he's chopping wood, chopping down a tree, and he has a friend next to him, and the axe head falls off, flies off, and hits the other guy in the head, and he dies there. God, being all wise, has all wisdom. He says, we need to do something about that. And they gave mankind somewhere to flee when those accidental accidents would occur. And it was the city of refuse. If you did not flee, we're going to find out the avenger of blood had opportunity to put you to death. And so that's why these six cities of refuge were scattered all the way through the land of Israel. And this was before the law was given. Matter of fact, in Genesis 9, that's when God says, when the the ark landed on Mount Ararat, when they come off the ark, he says, no one should take man's life because we are image bearers of our God. We are valuable to our God. And every human life, is sacred, and we wouldn't know that today in our society, the way things are. And one human life, Jesus says, is more valuable than the entire universe, that a single human soul is more valuable than the spotted owls or any other animal or any rainforest, because all that is going to pass, all those things are going to pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Because when you take a life, in that moment, someone's eternity is fixed. It's fixed. And we don't have the power or the authority to do that. And so it's separated when it's fixed either in heaven or in hell. So now we come to these cities of refuge. Verse 1 tells us, the Lord also spoke to Joshua saying, because he had spoken to Moses Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. That sounds like a Marvel villain's name, the avenger of blood. You have to remember, back in the day, there wasn't any police force, not any, and it wasn't because of defund the police. In this ancient culture, there was the avenger of blood. If someone had killed, say, my daughter, then my son would have the responsibility. And if I had more than one son, the eldest son would have the responsibility to go and try to kill this slayer. It would be up to them. He would have the responsibility to do that. And as Americans in our culture, we, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around that. In the Middle East, especially in uh, radical Islam, those things still happen today. Once again, they had no police force. And so even in an accident, the Lord says, if it's an accident, if you didn't mean it, well, I'm going to give you somewhere to flee to. But yet and still, because your case have not been heard, you haven't explained it to the, the, the friend you may have killed accidentally's family, they're going to be coming after you. And so you must flee to one of these cities and be heard by the high priest there. It reminds me of the Hatfields and the McCoys, if you guys can remember those guys. Hey, you kill one of my kin, it could be 20 years later. They could still do that. Vengeance. And so God says, you guys need somewhere to escape to. Exodus 21, 13 says this. And I want you to hear what the Lord says. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him, 
but God delivered him into his hand. Then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. That's a a provocative statement there that God has delivered this person into your hand to be killed. He's saying, you may have not intended to do this, but the Lord allowed it. He has delivered that person in that circumstance. And what he's saying is that God's providence sometimes works in ways that's almost crazy for us to understand. That's crazy that God would allow someone to be put to death like this. When people have accidents, we cry out, why, Lord, is this happening? This is a difficult situation. If we cause the death of someone else, there's a time we need to step back and look. There is always in this world it's going to happen. And I see it over and over again. And I hear it over and over again. Even for believers, there is this argument of secondary causes. And it goes like this. This person did this to me or to my family, or this person abused this child. And somehow, and I don't know how, and I'm not saying it's easy for us to understand, but there's ultimately comes a time we have to step back and we have to say, Lord, if you're sovereign, and I know you are, if you are sovereign and if you are good, you allowed this to happen. And that's what's happening here. And that's a great hurdle or a great stumbling block, a great issue that we must deal with. When a, when a child, parents should always leave this earth before their children. But when that don't happen, especially a healthy body, and we say, Lord, why? Why did you allow this to happen? a murder or an accident. Why did you allow this to happen? We must go back first to God is good and God loves us and God is sovereign and nothing filters through his hands, his loving hands, unless he allows those things to filter through. And so he has these cities of refuge. It says, God delivered him into his hand. It was time for that person to step into eternity. That's the only reason, only thing I can say about it. Verse 4 tells us, And when he flees to one of those cities, the slayer is running, and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city, and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city. They shall take him into the city as one of them, and give him a place that he may dwell among them, Give him living quarters there. Listen, these six cities of refuge, they are Levitical cities, very important. They are part of those 48 cities that were given to the Levites, once again, on both sides of the Jordan River. And of those six, of those six cities, 48 cities, six cities of the 48 cities were cities of refuge. So the Levites' ministry was to take this person when they would come into the city of refuge who's guilty of involuntary manslaughter, he's guilty of it, and take him in and give him refuge there. Verse 5 tells us, Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. He didn't do this purposefully. Now, this is, I love traditions. This is the tradition they would say in Israel about these cities of refuge. Deuteronomy 19 speaks of the roads had to be prepared, kept clear in case someone killed someone accidentally and you would begin to flee to the cities of refuge. So the Jewish tradition, they took what God said, make sure the roads are clear, and this is what they added. They said the roads must be not only clear, but they must be maintained meticulously. Nothing in the way. We don't want them to stumble. We don't want them to trip. We hope they get to the city of refuge. 
It also says if the city of refuge is going one way and there's a crossroad, they had to be two signs pointing to the correct way to the city of refuge. They want you to get there. And then they said, you already know that it was in a day's journey, but they said, as you were running and you're getting close to the city of refuge and the gates, they said about a mile or two miles out, there would be a runner and all his job would be is when someone's coming to cheer them on as they would get closer and closer and closer to the city of refuge. You can get, you can get there. You can make it. Keep running. Hey, you wouldn't have to tell me if someone's behind me. <laughs> they might catch me, but they won't catch me on the strength that I stopped. I'm going to be running. So they were being cheered on to the city of refuge. Bridges, they both had to be built if you had to cross something, and they had to be maintained to get there. That's amazing. That shows the grace of God. And they said, as you were going into the city, you would scream out your case. I was chopping wood, and the axe head flew off, and it hit my friend. That's why I'm here. And all of that would be going on. And the avenger of blood would have to get to the gate, and they would defend the slayer. They they would say, you cannot come in here until we hear his case, and then we will make the decision here. God is a gracious God, these cities of refuge. And they're a type. We see types here. They're not perfect types. They're not perfect shadows of Jesus Christ. He had to stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. And when the high priest died, of course, the slayer could leave and nothing could be done to him. And once again, that's a picture of Jesus Christ. Then the person would be set free. Once again, these are types. They don't, they're not perfectly fit there, but there are signs here. The bridges are sure. The roads are sure. And when we sin, when we miss the mark, we are to flee to our city of refuge, Jesus Christ. We are to confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There are differences once again, but these types, they'll fall apart because Jesus has died once and for all, and he doesn't have to die again. And we as believers we are in, we are sealed in Christ, and we can't run outside the city of refuge. We are protected, hallelujah, for that. We are sealed to the day of redemption in Christ Jesus. We can't run out of that. That's a blessing. And even when we sin deliberately, and I know you guys don't do that, and I'll put the mirror on me. Even when we sin deliberately, it does not disqualify us. We still have our sweet Savior there to defend us and to take care of us. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So types may fail, but Jesus Christ is our high priest. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And it's all because we have a better covenant. We no doubt have a better covenant. But here's the problem, you guys, and we must check ourselves with this. When you sin and when I sin, how much time is between the sin and our genuine repentance? That's what we want to talk about. And there can be different reasons for this. Some of us are still learning that Jesus Christ is as gracious as the scriptures say he is. And because we have never known anyone like Jesus Christ of his graciousness and his mercy and his loving kindness, we come to him with preconceived ideas because of the way we were brought up. You may have been let down by your family or maybe some close friends And they may have talked about you, and they may have said many things about you, and they may have trampled on your heart, and you find it hard that Jesus will receive you with open arms no matter what you did, and you can't understand that. Well, you still need to flee to him. 
You may have been in an abusive relationship where you've been talked down about and abused and all of those things, and you, you, you just can't see a loving God who will take you in and love you with all of your issues. But Jesus Christ does that, and we have to understand that. And we can be safe in his loving arms, and we need to flee to him. Because you need, you, we need to understand when this person was running to the city of refuge and they went into the city of refuge, did they feel guilty? Of course they did, because they were guilty. Involuntary manslaughter. Did they feel safe and secure? I'm sure when they got in there, they still doubted, are they going to let him in anyway? What, what if? What about this? What is about that? The only assurance that this person had as they went through those gates into the city of refuge is the assurance of the word of God. That's all we need. That's all we need to hold on to. It wasn't about their feelings. It was about his word. The assurance he offers us even now that if we flee to his son, Jesus Christ, we will be safe. God is faithful. And the assurance of that, that we know we will be safe, the Bible says again in 1 John 9, 1, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And once again, here's the problem. The distance of time between the sin and our repentance. You see, someone will do something, and then it might be a month for them to repent of that sin. Or it might be a year, or it could be years before they repent of that sin. And in the meantime, when all of those things are going on, believe me this, something begins to happen to the heart. And there needs to be a brokenness there. It becomes harder and harder to repent. But when you sin and you realize you've sinned and you ask for forgiveness right then and there, that keeps you having a tender heart. Spurgeon said this, the distance between sin and the repentance, he says, that amount of time betrays the condition of the heart. That's exactly what it does. If I blow it, I have to repent right then and there, and that keeps my heart fertile. But if I hold on to it and hold on to it, the heart becomes calloused, and it's easy to run over that per, those parameters again, and I continue to run over them. But when I sin, if I repent and confess those sins, we have a tender heart, and that's what the Lord wants. We can hold on to things, and we need to ask ourselves when we don't confess and repent of those sins, why? Why are we holding on to them? Well, we're holding on to something, some sin, some sin is sweeter than the sense of the cleansing when we ask for forgiveness, but it won't be in the long run. It never is in the long run. You become broken, hopefully, by your sin, and you ask the Lord to forgive you of that sin. So the types of the cities of refuge, it's beautiful. It reflects so much of Jesus Christ to us. Verse 6 says this, and, and he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment. There it is. And until the death of, of the one who is the high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. So they appointed. And once again, here are the cities of refuge, six on the eastern side, six on the um, promised land side, the western side. And Catch these names. I'll talk about them, but they're very important. So they appointed Kadesh. Kadesh means holy or sanctuary in Galilee, and that's in the north, northern part of Canaan, on the Canaan side. In the mountains of Naphtali, 
Then it says Shechem, which speaks of shoulder or strength. The government shall be upon his shoulders in the mountains of Ephraim. And that's in the middle of the country, central area. And Kerjeth Arba, which is Hebron. Hebron means fellowship or communion in the mountains of Judah, in the south on the western side of the Jordan. Verse 8. And on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho, eastward, they assign Bezer in the south, which has the idea, Bezer has the idea of fortified or a fortress in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben. Ramoth in Gilead. Ramoth means heights, most people think, and that's in the middle of the land on the east side of the Jordan from the tribe of Gad and then Golan up in the north. And it has a debated meaning of exaltation. And it says in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. Now, I told you these words are important and put together. This is the picture because it's a beautiful picture of Christ. We find sanctuary because Christ picks us up on his shoulders. He's the good shepherd and he gives us fellowship. And it's in a fortified place, in the heights. And there in his fellowship, he will give us exaltation. He lifts us up. If we walk with him, no matter hell or high water, people will see us because we're in intimate relationship with him and he will exalt us. What what does James say? In due time. That's what he does. Verse 9 tells us, these were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Chapter 21, I'm going to finish this chapter, so you guys stick with me. Then the heads of the fathers, houses of the Levites, came near to Eleazar the priest to Joshua, the son of Nun, and to the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh. The worship center was at Gilgal. Now the tabernacle and everything, they moved it to Shiloh. In the land of Canaan, saying, the Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. Verse 3. So the children of Israel gave to the, to the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord these cities and their, and their common lands. Now we're going to have 48, once again, cities named for six are the cities of refuge. And remember, they are scattered out all through the land. The last chapter in the book of Numbers tells us there are 23,000 Levites. God knew what he was doing because he's going, he's going to take those 23,000 Levites and he's going to divide them up in those 48 cities. And so whenever you're fleeing somewhere, whenever you're having an argument and you don't know what you should do, there's no excuse. You go to these cities, you ask these Levites and they will give you the answer. So the word is scattered throughout the land. God is good anytime we have an issue. And it's so important that we understand that God has taken these Levites and scattered them because I've just read to you, I'll read again, Genesis 49, 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Just like he said, Jacob on his deathbed, he continues. He says this prophesying, let not my soul enter their counsel. Let not my honor be united to their assembly, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is cruel, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. Now the curse is upon their anger. It's not upon their tribe and their fierceness. He says, I will divide them in Jacob. That's what he did with Levi. I went with Simeon. He puts them in Judah. And notice what he says, and scatter them in Israel. And that's what has happened. He scatters Levi all the way through the land 
of Israel. God is so exacting. He prophesies this, Jacob does, through God. You know, when there's a temptation and when there's a struggle, and we all have them, if we would only come back and think of what the Word says and the implications if you've failed that temptation or whatever it is, because Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back. And we need to hold on to those great and precious promises. And no matter what we are going on in life, we're going to win this thing. And we're going to find out he's going to say that at the end of these verses. He says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. But because Levi stood with Moses, In that interaction with the golden calf, Moses comes back down the mountain. He says, those on the Lord's side come with me. And I I got a feeling also the only reason Levi stood with them because Moses is a Levite and that's my brother. Maybe they said, hey, no, he's on the winning side. And so God blesses Levi anyway. And not their name is not on the territory, but they have houses and places to live and all those things. And so God was very favorable in a sense, to Levi. And the offspring of Simeon and Levi, they were not responsible for what happened with that golden calf. Remember, Ezekiel 19 speaks of the sins of the fathers are not transferred down to the sins of the children. So the Lord blesses Simeon anyway in all of this because God wants to bless his people, but he scatters Levi through the nation of Israel to bless the rest of the children of Israel. Verse 4 tells us, Now the lot came out for the families of the Korahites, one of the families of Levi, and they were given these territories out of Judah, out of Simeon, Benjamin, Ephraim, Dan, and Manasseh. Verse 6 tells us, And the children of Gershon, the Gershonites, and their families, and it tells us where the cities were given to them. Verse 7 the children of Merari, by their families from the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and Zebulun. And it tells you their areas and the cities they were given. Look at verse 9. So they gave from the tribe of, of the children of Judah and from the tribe of the children of Simeon, these cities, which, were, which, which are designated by name, which were for the children of Aaron, one of the families of the Korahites, who were of the children of Levi, for the lot was theirs. And it describes how he divides the land up in Hebron. Verse 11, and they gave them Kerjoth Arba. Arba was the father of Anak, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah, with the common land surrounding it. Verse 13, thus to the children of Aaron, the priest they gave, gave Hebron. And it describes that and what they were given all the way down to verse 19, the cities that were given, and I'll spare you all those names. Verse 19 says, all the cities of the children of Aaron, the priests were 13 cities with their common lands. So of 48 cities, 13 are for the priests, verse 20, and the families of the children of Kohath. And it begins to describe and name the cities. Now, I know we are browsing through this, but it's very important because what we're about to see, we are browsing through them, but God is very meticulous in what he's doing. And all of these cities that I didn't name, it proves God's faithfulness. And whenever we begin to say, is God faithful or not? Every jot and tittle, my God, I don't know about your God, but my God is faithful. Everything he said he would do, he will do. And it speaks of God's faithfulness. Verse 26 says, all the 10 cities with their common lands were for the rest of the families of the children of Kohath. 27, to the children of Gershon, and it speaks about that, and we will follow it all the way down. Verse 33 All the cities of the Gershonites 
according to their families were 13 cities with their common lands. Verse 34, and to the families of the children of Merari, and it begins to describe them. Verse 40, so all the cities for the children of Merari, according to their families, the rest of the families of the Levites were by their lot 12 cities. Verse 41, all the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities with their common land. Again, 10 of those, no, no farther than 10 miles away to flee to, a fulfillment of God's promises. Verse 42, every one of these cities had its common land surrounding it. Thus were all these cities. And that leads me to these last three verses. And they are very important. I hope you will be blessed by these three verses. These three verses, you will see the word all five times. All came to pass. All came to pass. God is emphasizing. God is emphasizing. When you're in hard times, when you're in sad times, when you are in depressing times, God is emphasizing. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. Verse 43. Can you imagine them now? The land has been divided. And they're standing around Joshua. Joshua is about to die. And he he begins to speak to them of the faithfulness of God. I don't know about you guys, but on my deathbed, if I have to go on my deathbed, I want people around me speaking of the faithfulness of God, not so much of, am I going to stay here? Am I going to go? Any of those things tell me about his faithfulness because the Bible speaks of that last enemy and that's death. And no matter how much confidence you have, you need people around you saying, God is faithful. He promised. Just like Caleb said, you promised me. And that's what I'm going to hold on to, his faithfulness. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers. That was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob way back then. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. Speaking of Genesis 15 and Joshua 1, speaking of that land of Canaan. Here it is. It's yours. And so that shows us that God keeps covenant. And that's important for you and I, because we are under, once again, an infinitely greater, better covenant. Aren't we? Yes, we are. That should breed more confidence when we have to walk through something. And that covenant was ratified by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's important for us to have those signposts and mark those things down. You know, sometimes we may not feel, sometimes we may struggle in this walk with the Lord. Sometimes we may even doubt, but the truth is, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And one thing we see here. And it's very applicable to our lives. God keeps covenant. He's a covenant-keeping God. Secondly, verse 44 tells us, the Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he has sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies, their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. The Lord gives victory. God keeps covenant. He says, that's not enough. I'm going to give you a little bit more when you're struggling with something down here. I'm going to give you the victory. He's dealt with all of our enemies, not some. God gives victory, you guys. You know, I hear people say all the time, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just wrestling with this, and I'm, I'm wrestling with that, and I'm wrestling with pornography, and 
You know, I started to think another day. I said, you know what? If they said a bomb, a nuclear bomb just went off in the ATL, all of those things we wrestled with, we'd stop wrestling with them very quickly. Oh, Lord, I'm serious now. Oh, Lord, I'm going to do whatever I need to do now. The question is, do we want freedom? Do we want liberty? Paul says there's liberty in Christ Jesus. Do we want to do what we need to do to have all the great and precious promises of the Lord? God gives victory. His word tells us that. God is not a man that he should lie or son of man that he should repent. If he says he gives us all these victories, he means what he says. He gives victory over depression. He gives victory over anxiety. He gives victory to anything the enemy throws at us. But remember, little by little by little, he gives victory. The question is, do we want it? And then in verse 45, it says, not a word failed of any good thing, because he's all about giving good things, which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. The Lord keeps his promises then and now. And that's real important to me. That's very important to me, because I hear Jews say in chapter 1, verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, thank you, Lord, and to present you faultless, even me? (laughs) Even me? Even you? If you're in Christ, he will bring you through, is able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's an important promise to me. Because, you know, I'll look in the mirror some days, And it's hard for me to see the image of Christ in me. It's hard for me to see that when I'm short sometimes or when I'm frustrated sometimes. And I have to go back to his word and to his promises. He gives victory and he keeps promises. All of that, the believer in Jesus Christ are recipients to. That's yours and mine. God's covenant through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. There are times we struggle with many of things. There are times we may doubt. Let's look at this generation one more time, and I'll go to my seat. Caleb is standing there. Joshua is pronouncing this. And this generation that's listening to Joshua, on this day, they're right there smack in the middle of all God has done. And they're, they're listening to what everything God has given them. They are standing in complete victory. All of these millions of people here, complete victory over their enemies. But remember, for months on end, as they were crossing the wilderness, and even as they crossed the Jordan, no months on end, they were hot, they were thirsty, they were complaining. You brought us out here to die, Moses. They were hungry, they were worn from all of these battles they were fighting. They were longing for Egypt. Remember that? Looking back over their shoulders and saying, all oh, the leeks, all oh, the garlics, the flesh pots. Boy, I wish we were back in Egypt. Selective memory. And it's like that when trials are pressing on you. They forget about the taskmaster's whip and how they were taking their sons and throwing them into the Nile. And all they could think about was some leeks and garlic. And now they're standing right there, and they've completed everything, not by their doing, but by God. God is a covenant-keeping God. God is a powerful God. God is a promise-keeping God. And just like the children of Israel, there are times I doubt. 
There are times I struggle. There are times I get worn from battles. There are times I'm thirsty and I'm reading the word and I say, Lord, I don't feel your presence. I'm in your word and I'm not being satiated by your word. Lord, what's going on? But that doesn't negate one of his great and precious promises. Those are the times when you get like that. You probably never get like that, but I get like that. But those are the times when you say heaven and earth, this is what Jesus said, will pass away, but not one jot or tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Days will come when you look around and you say, Lord, this hurts. I don't understand it. And I don't know where your love is, Lord. You say you have loved me with an everlasting love, but I'm in pain now, Lord. And I'm in a position I never thought I would be in, Lord. I'm doubting your love, Lord. Lord, I'm depending on you to give me power. Reach down and strengthen me, Lord. And God probably weeps. And when we get to the other side, and that's what we have to understand, there's the other side of all those difficult things. And I'm speaking of not only the other side here and now, but the other side when we see him face to face. He tells us, now, with all of your doubting, with all of your hurting and pain that you cried out and you thought I wasn't there, look around. Every promise that I promised you, here it is. Every promise that I made to you, I have kept. That's the God we serve. We're going to struggle down here because he's molding us and he's making us and he's shaping us into the image of his dear dear son. And they don't happen when the times are good. We like that. But that really only takes place when it's hard and difficult times. And we must understand that every word he's told us will not fail. They will come to pass. God is a covenant-keeping God. He's the God that gives us rest. He's the God that defeats our enemies no matter what. Little by little, we should have confidence. He's the God that gives us victories, you guys. Stick close to him. Walk close with him. Surrender. Allow him to keep us in those parameters of blessings that we can grow in. He loves us. Let's pray. Father, when I read your word, I'm blown away that even when the children of Israel was fussing and complaining and all of those things. I'm talking about the new generation. They did that. Now they're standing and saying, Joshua can testify. Not one of your promises has failed. It wasn't that they were good, Father. We just went over that. It wasn't that they did everything perfectly, Father. But you are good. And you are perfect. And for some reason, some reason, you've chose us from the foundations of the world to be your sons and daughters. And you've given us a covenant, a covenant of love, a covenant of grace, a covenant of mercy. And you said, I'm going to complete what I started. And it's because of my love for you. And my word, my word will never be broken. So, Lord, give us grace to hide your word in your heart that we may not sin against you, that we may be the salt and the light that you've called us to be, that we might be that refreshing aroma, that fragrance, that the world, a lost world, know that we are your sons and daughters. Father, I don't know what everyone is going through here, but I pray whether in good times 
Tough times or sad times, doubting times, we would hold on to your word. Your word never fails. Not only do we have your word, Lord, we have something that that new generation did not have. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. He's that runner who says, you can make it. Continue. You can run a little farther. You can climb up this hill. Continue to run. I'm going to make sure you continue to run until you see your Savior, your God, Jesus Christ. Father, give us grace to do that. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen. Amen.